Good morning. Um, as, as you may know, if you are a regular attender at Redeemer Church, since our official launch on August 29, we've been every Sunday looking at one of our core values. And so uh, just can anybody tell me the core values that, that we have talked about um, on Sundays here from the, the, the pulpit that's not here, but you know what I mean, you know, during this preaching and teaching time? Okay, so family, that was last week. Yeah, good that you got the one from last week. No, that's fine. That's cool. Dude, I'm just messing with Quinn, I'm just messing with you because you have a really cool gray sweater vest on. Okay, we had proclamation, right? Pardon me? I don't think we've had community yet. That's later. Yeah, we had worship. Thank you for remembering the one I taught on, dear. That's my wife. Love, and one more. The, the first one, on the launch. Starts with T. Transformation. Excellent. Yeah, those, those, are the, those are the core values that we've already talked about. It. And does anyone remember what a core value is? It's a value that's core. Right, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, just break, break it down. Okay, and I don't mean, you know, but, uh, you know, something that's core is either it's at the center, okay, or, or it's essential. Th- those are the two meanings, two main understandings of the word core. It's either at the center or it's essential. And both of those are true when it comes to core values. They're those things, and we'll define things in a minute, but they're those things that are at the center of and essential to Redeemer Church being all that God has called us to be as Redeemer Church in Champaign-Urbana. And now, values. What are values? It's those ideals or concepts or truths that we hold in high Regard. We're not even saying highest regard. So it's those ideals and concepts and truths that we hold in highest regard that are central and essential to Redeemer Church being what God has called us to be in Champaign-Urbana as Redeemer Church. That's what core values are. And we've talked about transformation and love and worship and proclamation and family. And today we're going to talk about the core value of truth. And if you have your Bible, I'm going to invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 13 through 20. Uh, in a moment we're going to look at that, but go ahead and turn there and get ready and find that spot. And um, it's on page 1004 in uh, my uh, ESV Bible, and it's probably the same page in the pew, the chair Bibles. Is that true? Somebody confirm that for me? Yep. Okay, great. Right. And pretty much every ESV Bible, unless it's the ESV Study Bible, it's on page 1004. And if it's not, don't say, no, mine's different. Okay, just saying. Thank you. Not to say that you can't respond during the teaching time. You know me. You know, most of you know me. You know, that's kind of one of the things I, I, I want you to do. So if I'm asking you a question during the message, I expect a response. Okay? I'm, in, I'm asking you because I want you to say what I'm asking. Okay? Great. Now, that's out of the way. Let's move on, talk about the core value of truth. Why would truth be a core value for Redeemer Church? That was a question. We don't want lies. Angie, right on. We don't want lies. Why don't we want lies? 
Because Jesus is the truth, okay? Yeah, I kind of remember a Bible verse, John 14, 6, when Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Why else might we value truth? Because that's the very nature of God, right? I mean, uh, John 17, 3, Jesus says in a prayer... This is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent, the one true God. And we're going to see this even more in the text today, in Hebrews 6. But another reason that we value truth, why it's a core value, is that it's at the very nature of who God is. God is the one true God. Therefore, he is the source of truth and the source of all truth. So it, it's at the heart of who God is and it's at the heart of who Jesus is, but it's also at the heart of the gospel, right? Isn't truth at the heart of the gospel? In fact, that, that verse that, that Lonnie alluded to, John 14, 6, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes into the Father except by me. Isn't that Really, the gospel in a nutshell? I mean, isn't it? Isn't it? Yes, it is. The answer to that question is yes. Now, is the gospel more than that? Yes. Yes, the gospel is more than that, but it is at least that. In a nutshell, Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except by me. I mean, that is the gospel in a nutshell. So, truth is at the heart of the gospel, and Think about this also. So, so not only is the gospel, I mean, I'm sorry, not only is truth at the heart of who God is, and not only is truth at the heart of the gospel, but truth is, is also really at the heart of most of our core values. Transformation. What are we transformed by? I mean, obviously we're transformed by God through what? Truth. Truth. Jesus says in John chapter 8 to his disciples, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Truth is, is part of the transforming work of God. Jesus also prays in John, prays in John chapter 17, verse 17, sanctify them in truth. Sanctify is one of those transforming things that God does. So sanctification, big Big word, that, that, that process by which you become more and more like Christ, where sin is, is methodically put to death in you, in us. That work that God does, that we cooperate with and discipline ourselves for, but yet it's work that God does, that work of sanctification or sanctifying, that is a transforming work. And Jesus says in that prayer, sanctify them in truth, your word is truth. So, tra- truth is at the heart of transformation. And then worship. What do we worship? The one true God. In, in the message on, on, um, on worship, the first, the, the first reality that we came to grips with is that all worship must be, by definition, directed to God, who is the one true God, right? And how about proclamation. Well, what do we proclaim? The truth. Truth is at the heart of proclamation. Okay, how about family? How is truth at the heart of family? 
Anybody see the connection there? Especially the God-ordained institution of marriage, especially, and we see this especially in Ephesians chapter 5. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5 that, and I'm paraphrasing, okay, but he, he, he's talking about husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And then he talks about this relationship between Christ and the church. He starts off talking about husbands and wives. And as he's talking about husbands and wives, he gets into Christ and the church. And then he comes back and says, oh, yeah, uh, but I'm talking about Christ and the church, but, but marriage is this same kind of mystery. And, and, he, and here's what's so amazing about that. As Paul is talking about husbands and wives in marriage, it's so easy for him to talk about Christ and the church and the gospel. And then he has to bring it back to marriage. And he basically says, these things are nearly one and the same. In other words, marriage has always been, always intended to be, by God, an illustration, a living picture of the truth of the relationship between Christ and the church that he's redeemed, those that he's redeemed, that's always been at the heart of God's intention for marriage, that it display the truth. So family, at the heart of the core value of family, is truth. So that's why truth is a core value at Redeemer Church. It's why it's essential and at the center of what we believe and do as we fulfill God's calling in our lives as Redeemer Church in Champaign-Urbana. Now, I want to pause for a moment before we get to the text and uh, just kind of refer back to something we did right before I... Not right before, because we prayed right before I stepped up here, but the song that we sang together right before the message time. Do you remember some of the words? Or the theme? Any of the words? Yes, yeah, speak, O Lord. And what was that? Us singing together, speak, O Lord. What was that? If all worship is directed to God, and that was us actually engaging in public corporate worship, what was that? It was a plea, a request from us as a body for God to speak to us. We were asking and pleading and calling upon God in this moment to speak to us from his word. So there are two questions I have. These you don't have to answer out loud. But in light of that song, here's the first question that you don't have to answer out loud, but you better answer it in here. Did you mean it? Did you mean it when you sang it? And then number two, are you listening? Because if you meant it when you sang it, then you ought to be, better be, must be listening to God through his word this morning. And with that in mind, won't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, um, it is our desire that you speak to us. And God, maybe when, maybe this morning when we sang those words together, we didn't fully understand everything that that might mean in our lives today. But God, help us to understand. God, 
we do want to be taught from your word, but we understand, God, that's not always an easy process. God, your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and is able to pierce through the vision of soul and spirit and bone and marrow, and it judges the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. So, God, when we say speak to us, sometimes we mean pierce us with your word. God, we also know that the scripture is profitable for teaching and reproof and correction and training in righteousness. So, God, when we ask you to speak to us, sometimes we're asking you to teach us. But sometimes, God, we're asking you to rebuke us and to correct us. And, God, we're asking you to train us. So, all that that means this morning, do that work in this time, in our lives, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Hebrews chapter 6, beginning in verse 13, if you're there. Why don't you follow along as I read? For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. As we think about truth, I, I want you to know that, that truth is truth because it's connected to God's character. Truth is Part of God's character. It is part of his nature. And that's why we value it, but we need to understand it in that way. You know, in, in Hebrews chapter 6, we see a couple of ways in which truth is connected to God's character. You know, in Hebrews 6, we are told by the writer of Hebrews that God desired to, to make the promise to Abraham a sure thing. He, he wanted Abraham to know this is a sure thing. And, and why? Because Abraham was going to have to wait to see that promise fulfilled. Right? And what was the promise? Yeah, a son. And through, that, and through that son, through that one son, he would become a mighty nation and all of the nations of the world would be blessed through him. Okay? Through that one son. And that son hadn't come yet. Right? And he had to wait. But by the time that, from the time that promise was made until, until Isaac was born, he had to wait. He and Sarah, his wife, had to wait a long time. So, in order, because God desired to make that promise a sure thing, something that Abraham would hold to and be faithful to and not waver from, he did something. And here's what he did God swore. An oath. And here's what we understand about swearing an oath. When you swear an oath, okay, for that to be believable, you swear that oath to, by something greater than yourself, more valuable than yourself, and 
that is a greater source of truth than yourself. You know, um, think about modern day, the times that people swear an oath, like when you're giving testimony. Ooh, ooh, there's too many law students in here. I might get this wrong. No, I'm just kidding. There's never too many law students, but I still might get this wrong. Uh, correct. Feel free to correct me. But when you're giving testimony in a courtroom or in a deposition, huh? glad I got that. Yeah, impressed. In a deposition, you 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 swear an oath that you're going to tell the truth, right? And and I don't know if they still do this because I've been in the courtroom a long time. Sometimes you put your hand on a Bible and and say, you know, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. You know, so help me God, something like that. You know, something along those lines. Maybe that's not the exact oath anymore, but but you swear that oath and you put your hand on the Bible because the assumption, at least at one time, the assumption was that the Bible is a source of truth and it's greater than the person who's swearing that oath. And so it's binding to them. And so once they swear that oath, it is expected that they'll tell the truth. Well, So God, desiring to swear this oath to make his promise sure, here's what God does. He swears an oath by himself, or to himself, or based on himself. Why? Why did God do that? There's no greater truth than him. There's no one greater than God. And there's no one more valuable than God. There's, no one of, there's nothing of more worth than him. And there's no greater source of truth. In fact, God is the source of truth. He's saying, he's saying, as long as I am who I am, oh, does that sound familiar? As long as I am who I am, this promise is good. You know, today people might want to convince you they're telling the truth and they'll say, oh, you know, like, I swear by my mother's grave, or, you know, or I swear by heaven and earth that I'm telling you the truth. Here's the deal. That promise is only good as long as mama's grave is still there. Or... As long as the heavens and the earth exist. Is mama's grave eventually going to go away? Yes. Is heaven and earth eventually going to go away? Yes. And be recreated, right? Alright, yes. So that, those promises actually, or, or, or the promise that I'm telling you the truth, if I swear in that way, they have an end. But God's saying my truth-telling has no end. Because... This truth I'm telling you is dependent on me being me. See, I, I know it seems weird that God's, the, the, the proof of God's truth is found in God being true. <laughs> I know that sounds like a circular argument, but it's only a circular argument if you're not God. When you are God and you define truth and truth is your at your nature, and there's none greater than you, then it is appropriate to call upon your very nature to make an oath or a promise. Okay? And that's the next thing we see. We see truth in God's promises. First, it's in His nature. God is truth. He is the one true God. There's no God besides Him or above Him at all. He is the one true God. And He is so true that he makes his 
promises dependent on his nature of being the one true God. And if his promises fail, that means he's no longer God. But since he will eternally be God, the one true God, his promises never fail. His promises are true. Abraham experienced that in his own life. He had a promise from God. And God swore an oath, told Abraham, this promise will, I'll keep this promise or I'll no longer be God. That is essentially what God was saying when he swore an oath to himself. He said, this promise, I'll keep this promise or I'll no longer be God. Okay? And Abraham waited patiently. This text says he waited patiently, but he saw the promise. He received that promise from God. God keeps all of His promises. God's promises come with an eternal guarantee. When you buy something, and my favorite thing to buy is Craftsman hand tools, for a number of reasons. One, I'm a guy. I have a garage to put tools in. Okay? And, uh, and, and, and I and like to try to fix things. <laughs> try is the operative word there. Okay? All right? All right. And, and also like a good value, right? So I go to Sears and I buy a Craftsman hand tool. Any, anybody know the, the Sears Craftsman hand tool guarantee? Anybody know? Phil Hoeing, what is it? Lifetime warranty. And so if you've got a Craftsman uh, number two Phillips screwdriver and you break the tip off because you're trying to open a paint can with it or... Or whatever, or you know, even, even if you're using it for some other purpose than it was created, what do you do with the number two Phillips head screwdriver that's broken? Take it to Sears, and you give it to them, and what do you say? I need it replaced, lifetime guarantee. And here's what they do: they take it and go, "Yep, it's broke. Go pick out the same one over there, ring up a little thing on the register, don't pay me any money, and you get a brand new Craftsman number two Phillips head screwdriver." Okay, that's how it works. And that's a lifetime guarantee. Okay? That's pretty good, isn't it? Right? But, does lifetime have an end? Yes. Will there be a day in which there are no longer any Craftsman Phillips head number two, number two Phillips head screwdrivers? Yes, there will be. Okay? So as great as a lifetime guarantee is, it's got an end. But God, who is eternally God, when he makes a promise and swears an oath by his own character, guess what? That's an eternal guarantee. A promise with an eternal guarantee. That's, folks, that's, that's forever and always. That, that never ends. That's eternal, right? Okay, you can count on that, you can bank on that. No matter how long you have to wait, you will see it come to fruition in your life. Man, we see truth in God's promises. Not only is it in God's God's character, His nature, but also in His promise, promises. And, and, and in Hebrews chapter 6, we see that it's not just that one promise to Abraham about Isaac. It's also the promise of eternal life, that the promise of right standing before God, 
of relationship with God in Jesus Christ. For those who have hoped in Him or gone, come to Christ for refuge. That promise of salvation in Christ. That's another promise of God. All those who would come in repentance and faith to Jesus Christ will be saved and they will no longer face judgment for their sin and they will live eternally in relationship, right relationship and right standing before Almighty God. That promise, that one is also forever and always. That one also comes with an eternal guarantee. And I love the way that the writer of Hebrews describes it. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, again, impossible for God to lie, another reference to God's character, quality, or nature of truth, we, have, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Here it is. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Man, that promise, that hope of eternal life, eternal relationship with God in Christ, that we have a, because God is true and because God's promises are true. We have that as a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul. What does it mean to have a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul? Well, what's an anchor do for a ship? Holds it in place. Keeps it from drifting away, right? It's, pardon me? Stability, right. Yeah, it stays in one place. It doesn't drift away. It sustains it. It gives it stability. That's what God's character, quality of truth, and the fact that truth can be applied to all of His promises. Man, when we have truth as an, a steadfast, a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, we're sustained in our faith. We, we don't drift away from our faith. We... We stay in, in that place and don't go to another. We have stability. We're not tossed about by the waves of the sea or every doctrine that comes along or every spiritual idea that comes about. No. We don't move. We're steadfast. We stay where we are. We have stability. We don't drift. That's a steadfast anchor of the soul in Christ connected to the truthfulness of God's character, the truthfulness of God's promises. But then also, we see, you know, truth in God's Word. Okay? And I mentioned this already in John 17, 17, Jesus says to, um, to God in a, in a prayer, Jesus is praying in the garden before His crucifixion, before His arrest and crucifixion, and He says to God, God, sanctify them in truth. Your Word is Truth. Okay, God's Word is truth. Because God Himself is truth, He always speaks truthfully. 
His promises are true and guaranteed by the truthfulness of His character. His Word is true. He speaks truthfully. What does that mean when it comes to God's Word? If God's Word is truth, what's the implication for you and I? That was a question. Exactly. We must believe it. If God's word is truth, then we've got to believe it. We've got to believe that word. We've got to trust in what it says. We've got to live it when it tells us how to live. And we've got to believe when it tells us how to believe. And we obey when it tells us what to obey. Right? True statement? Yeah. Very much so. We can, we can and must believe it. We can and must trust in it. We can and must live it. We can and must believe it. And we can and must proclaim it. In part because it tells us to proclaim it. But also if we value truth, we're going to proclaim truth. You know, again, see how truth is at the heart of even proclamation? It's there. Now, we've looked at truth in God's character, truth in God's promises, truth in God's word. Now, how do we apply truth? What, 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 how do we apply truth to our lives today? I mean, this is great. Or... I don't know. I mean, I'm not. I think this is great. Okay, I think it's great that truth is is represented, and we see it in God's character, and and therefore He's the source of all of it. And I mean, I think it's awesome that truth is is seen in and displayed in uh, and defined by God's promises and by God's word. But how do we apply all that? How do we apply truth? Well, I think this is where we start. Let's be men and women of truth. Let's be men and women of truth. Oh, gosh. You know, did I, does that help? Maybe you need to define what it means to be a man and woman of truth, right? Okay, so if truth is at the heart of God's nature and His character, and you and I are called as followers of Christ to reflect God's character, to display His glory and character, then then. How do we do that with this character quality of truth? I think we start by believing the truth. Let's start at the belief place. One way we apply truth is to believe it. Believe it. Trust in it. This morning, are you believing and trusting in God's truth? And, and, and primarily the truthfulness of the gospel that we all are separated from God by our sins, our, rebe- our rebellion and misdeed against, misdeeds against God. And, and the only way that can be righted is through repentance of sin and faith in Jesus Christ alone, who suffered and died for our sins, that by believing on Him we might be forgiven of sin and brought into right relationship with God. And, and all of that, the truthfulness the truthfulness of all of that is displayed by God raising him from the dead. And we will one day be with him face to face. 
I mean, are you believing in and trusting in that truth today? But also if we're going to reflect this character quality, and if we're also going to see it in promises and in word, then we need to be people who tell the truth, right? We need to speak truthfully. And telling the truth involves a couple of things. One, it just means don't lie. Just don't lie. Because if we're reflecting God's character, but yet we lie, we are people who, who speak falsely and tell falsehoods and lie, what are we doing to God's character and nature? We're completely misrepresenting it, right? Okay, is there, do you think there is a penalty for perverting God's character or nature? <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. That's a problem, right? In fact, in, in Galatians, this is what Paul says. If I or an angel preach any other gospel than the gospel, let him be accursed. Speaking falsely, misrepresenting God's character, misrepresenting the gospel. Paul says to the Galatians, if it's me or even an angel... So if it's going to apply to Paul, an apostle, and to angels, I think it applies to you and I. Let us be accursed if we don't speak the truth, if we don't tell the truth, speak truthfully. In other words, not lie, but also that speaking the truth, telling the truth, also implies to proclamation. We're back to proclamation. Communicating the truth of God's word, the truth of the gospel to the people who are in our lives around us. That's also being a man and a woman of the truth. But then also, being a man and a woman of the truth, is it's about believing the truth, yes. Trusting in the truth, yes. Telling the truth, both speaking truthfully and proclaiming the gospel. But then also, living truthfully. Living truthfully. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. That's Philippians 4, 6, and 7. If we, live, if we believe the truth and the truthfulness of God's Word, and, and, and God's Word tells us not to be anxious, but to pray, how do we live out the truth? By not worrying and praying. And then resting and trusting in the peace of God that guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's just one example of how we live out the truth. In 1 Timothy, it says, uh, this is a, a, a saying, a trustworthy saying, worthy of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came to save sinners. That's the truth. How do we live the truth? How do we live the truth of that verse? Well, this is a trustworthy saying, worthy of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came to save sinners. Well, let's fully accept that. Let's fully accept that Christ came to earth to at least save sinners. I, I believe there's more wrapped up in that. I mean, he did come to save sinners, but in saving sinners, he brings glory to the Heavenly Father, fulfilling his purpose and plan for his life, but still, he came to save sinners. Okay? So if we fully accept that, what are we going to do? 
We're going to proclaim that Jesus came to save sinners. Why would we keep that to ourselves if we fully accept it? If we fully accept the truth that Jesus Christ came to save sinners, why would we just like, well, I know that's true, but I'm, gonna, I'm not going to tell any sinners that. Does that make any sense? Is that living the truth? No way. No way. It's not, it's not living the truth. Truth applied is that we become men and women of the truth. We believe the truth. We speak the truth. Tell the truth. And we live the truth. We live the truth. Right? Guys and, and gals. I don't, I don't mean to say that only guys are going to deal with this. But Jesus said if you look at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. Is that true? Then, guys and gals, how do we live the truth? By every means possible, guarding ourselves from lust. Because, do any of us want to be adulterers at heart? Raise your hand if you want to be an adulterer at heart. Anybody want to admit to that? I don't. Have I been? Yeah. I've been an adulterer at heart because I've been, I'm guilty. But if we believe that truth, we're going to live it out by all means possible guarding ourselves against lust. That's another example of how we live the truth. Let's be men and women of the truth. Can we be men and women of the truth? Will you be a man or a woman of the truth? Because truth is a value that is essential and at the center of what it means for us to be Redeemer Church. Why don't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you that you, God, are the one true God. And may we reflect your character of truth in our lives. And God, your promises are true. They have an eternal guarantee. God, may we live as though every promise you have made is already true. Because the reality is, it's already true. God, thank you for that. And Father, may we live out the truthfulness of your word in our lives. God, help us to believe, tell, and live the truth. And God, thank you that truth is, is essential and central to Redeemer Church being Redeemer Church. May we, oh God, by your grace, be Redeemer Church in Champaign-Urbana. In Jesus' name, amen.